The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Sup? Sup, dude. Um, (laughs) And tonight, we're going to talk about animation, specifically TV animation. Let's start right from the beginning. So, the first animated TV show was Crusader Rabbit, which was a tiny little segment that was basically um, at least the first original TV animation show. It was shown on some kids show apparently back in I believe it was 52 somewhere yeah, around there. Yeah, it was it was really early. Yeah, it was really early. Yeah. Um this was of course when television was um really small, like a TV screen was only bigger than your cell phone screen basically. It was in black and white. And mm-hmm. the TV wasn't very impressive, but people had never had, like, TV in their home before, so they were really crazy about it. Um, Also, at the time, there was actually lots of animation, but it was almost all old stuff left over from the movie serial period. Yeah. I'm not sure if our audience is aware of this, but uh, for about maybe about 20, somewhere between 20 and 30 years, movies basically were a block of primetime television that was basically just shown over and over for a week and then swapped out for a new block of primetime TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, what basically happened is is that a movie block would be maybe about six hours long. It would include two movies, an A movie and a B movie, which is where the term B movie comes from. And then there would also be a newsreel, some comedy shorts, and cartoons. And so that's where all our old uh, Warner Brothers, Fleischers, uh, Disney cartoons come from, is they were actually meant to be part of this block mm-hmm. that was distributed to movie theaters all across the nation every week. And so when TV came along, it wasn't long before they grabbed all those cartoons from those blocks and created all sorts of new um, shows using basically recycled material. Yeah, pretty much. And so that was kind of the, where TV animation started as um, recycled material from the previous era, which is not entirely a surprise, plus a little bit of new stuff such as Crusader Rabbit, and yeah. then later we'd have the Huckleberry Hound show. Yeah. Um, now, was Huckleberry Hound specifically created for TV, or did those already exist for movies prior to that? Um, Huckleberry Hound is for TV. Oh, okay, he uh, was for TV, okay. Yeah, I think, uh, just to rewind a little bit. Okay, sorry, I'm maybe going too fast. <laughs> no, that's okay, because um, uh, this this one of the problems you run into, because both of us are huge, like, cartoon fans. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to figure out where to start, just in case somebody listening hasn't heard of some of this stuff. Because mm-hmm. I keep doing that, because I keep forgetting I'm old. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that, it, that um, uh, when TV started... They they needed something to put on it. What people don't realize nowadays is that 
TV didn't, it wasn't 24-7. Right. Yes, that, it wasn't. It was scheduled and limited. Yeah. Because you had like, I think there was like four networks. Yes. And there's actually, it, you're right. There, there were, I believe, yeah, there were four. And yeah. the re, but there was a, there's a catch to that. There's a reason there's four. When radio first came around, um, they didn't regulate radio and everybody and their brother started a radio station. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is actually kind of an interesting story. Literally, everybody, their brother, their sister, and cousin started a radio station. And so it it was a huge explosion. This was in the 1920s. So when TV came around, the very first thing that happened is the big radio networks, uh, they might sound familiar, NBC, ABC, CBS, and I think MBC was the other one, the Mutual Broadcasting Corporation or something. I think that's the fourth one. Yeah, but I think I think they went by uh, wasn't that the Dumont Network? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think it was. Um, anyway, so what happened is is the very first thing that when TV started to proliferate is they rushed to Congress all these big networks and said, you know, there's going to be a huge explosion. It's going to be uncontrolled. It's going to be cr- crazy. Dogs and cats living together, <laughs> chaos. You know, all that kind of thing. And so they said, you know what you should do? You should put a freeze on new new TV stations for. Um, a couple years while well, you sort this stuff out. And Congress, in their wisdom, said, you know something, big big networks? You're right. Now, of mm-hmm. course, at this point, the big networks already had stations in all the major cities. So as yeah. soon as the freeze came down, what happened is, is that it basically blocked any new people or new independents from coming in mm-hmm. for several years. By the time they relaxed the rules... Guess what? The networks had already established themselves in the, and independents had a hell of a time getting in and getting started. This yeah. is why there are only four networks. Well, three. I, well, whatever. We'll get to that later. Uh, yeah, that, but That kind of changes every now and then. <laughs> it changes every now and then. But for a long time, there were only three. Um, yeah. And then, well, four. Well, four. There were four. There was the, the Dumont for a little while anyway. I was going to say. there were, But for most of our lifetime, there was only three. Yeah. Because um, I think Dumont died somewhere in the 60s, I think, maybe even the 50s. And then um, then so so we had the 70s and 80s and 90s until Fox came around. There were only the three. Yeah. And they again, that was the result of uh, manipulation on the part of uh, the big networks. But anyway, yeah. so that's just a complete side note as to why we only <laughs> have these few networks. Um, yeah. And what? they're all from radio, too. And that does kind of tie in with stuff that will come up later on. Uh, so that's, again, that's, that's good to know. And then with these networks, what they would do is they, they, they only broadcast, I think the first few, it was only like 10 hours a day that there was anything on them. Yes. Oh, less than that. When they very first started, you can find old TV listings online. They would have things like, we're going to show this thing at eight o'clock for half an hour. And then at 10 o'clock, we're going to show this for half an hour. And in between it's just static. Yeah. There were long periods of just static. Yeah, because when we were kids, we had that. And this is, again, something I don't think anyone under 30 would understand, mm-hmm. was um, that networks would go off the air. Yeah. And you'd get the test pattern and the... Yep, I remember those. And it was usually uh, it, usually around 1 in the morning, and then they'd kick up again usually around 6 or 7. Mm-hmm. Yep, usually whenever they started the morning news or morning shows or whatever. Yeah. And then what what ended up happening was as the the network started spreading out mm-hmm. and claiming more 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 airtime because again the more time I'm showing stuff the more time I can sell ads and actually make some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ended up moving into the weekends, right? 
and you'd have the, 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 the weekend programming is usually a little different. And this is where uh, you get a lot of kids shows. Right. And they were, I believe the last time we were discussing this, we used the, the only example I think anybody, again, 30 or under would, would understand is Krusty the Clown. Right. Yeah. From The Simpsons. That you had a lot of that where it would be skits and, and, and a, like like a, a comedy bit or, or they usually played a character. Yep. And then what, one of the things they do to fill time is they would show cartoons. And again, it, like you were saying, it was usually the ones that uh, years earlier had been shown at the theaters as part of the, the whole big theater going experience. It, it almost always was because what had happened is, is the big studios were offering those uh, old theater cartoons as part of packages, basically. They, yeah. they, were bu- they weren't buying one or two of them. They were buying like a few hundred of these cartoons. And yeah. then it's like, okay, well, where do we put them? What do we do with them? Yeah, and they, and they were – it's the same thing, um, any of our long-term listeners, uh, when we talked about uh, the 60s mm-hmm. with the, the monster kids, that the old monster movies were repackaged as the creature feature and sold to TV. Yep. It's kind of the same idea. Yep, exactly. Because yeah, that was shock theater. Ah, yeah. That was the shock theater package. <laughs> yep. The first one, I believe there was two. Uh, okay, anyway, so back to cartoons. Okay. <laughs> and it's again, it's the same idea. You started at a certain point, people would experiment with uh, doing new things for TV. Mm-hmm. But for, for animation, you had the problem, it was expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Um, and slow. Yeah, because yeah, what they did at the time, most animation for the theaters was what they called full animation. Right. Which is where, yeah, which is where if I'm drawing the character, every time they move, like if they move their arm, I'm redrawing the entire character. Mm-hmm. And again, that 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 makes a lot of uh, a lot of more work for for the animators. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, what you had, you'd mentioned Crusader Rabbit. Yes. And we were talking about this before because I'd always thought that it was Rough and Ready from Hanna Barbera that was like the first new. TV show, mm-hmm. but Crusader Rabbit it, it was earlier, like like uh, like we were discussing, like you brought up. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to see it because it's not exactly animated. Nineteen forty nine. I just double checked. Well, it is and it isn't. It's like what we. It's almost what we would call motion comics today, right? Oh, not even. Not even really. Like holy smokes! It's um. Yeah, what was it? Uh, there was a term. There was a term. There was a term uh, that one of the old uh, animators back in the day, Illustrated Radio. Oh, okay. Was what Chuck Jones used to call it. Because if right. you ever see it, a lot of it would be like a, a static picture and a voiceover. Really? Yeah, and then they might have something like, and then Bob showed up. And it would be like literally just a picture of Bob that you see kind of like hovering into frame sort of thing. Right, right. Like they, it was very, 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 very low key, mm-hmm. I guess would be the word. Right. And then what it was was, uh, and there's a few shows like this um, that came from around that time that used a lot of it. I've seen a few. There was uh, like Gerald McBoing Boing. Yep. Is one people might know because they remade it not mm-hmm. too long ago. I remember when it was Luno, which is about this boy with his magic talking horse, and they go on like barely moving adventures. Right. And 
And then what ended up happening is Hanna-Barbera were the guys that kind of perfected what they called limited animation. Mm -hmm. Which is the idea that if the character moves his arm, you have one drawing of the character without an arm, and then you just animate the moving arm part. Right, yeah, as needed, yeah. And that kind of, once they got the hang of that, uh, that kind of made it more feasible to do TV stuff, Mm -hmm. because it looked better... It gave the illusion of of full motion, and it was cheap enough that you could make a couple of bucks doing Mm. it. Makes sense. Yeah. And then they started it. You'd mentioned uh, Huckleberry Hound was, as I recall, the second show that they had done. Mm -hmm. And it was just crazy popular. Which I never understood. I was never really a big Huckleberry Hound fan. They were okay, but... I mean, not that I saw them during their original run, but I saw yeah. pro- even that, even then, yeah, I was probably watching um, either a, a later remake of it, or I don't know if I was watching the original episodes. But either way, yeah, Huckleberry Hound never my thing. Yeah, you 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 were we watched like the uh, the originals and new because they'd repackage them every few yeah, years. Right. Yeah, and this is a thing that kind of goes with uh, what you were saying before mm-hmm. too. The thing is. It was entertaining for the people at the time, not because, you know, their IQs were a lot lower than ours now, mm-hmm. but because it was novel. Yeah, it was like, new. people... people, and, and it was a lot of the jokes. Like, if you see a lot of the old Hannah Barbera stuff, it seems kind of hokey. Mm-hmm. But at the time, those jokes were mm-hmm. new. And the problem we have, like, even watching, say, Huckleberry Hound, we were watching it as a kid 20 years later. More than 20 years, but and, yes, yeah. Yeah. And that formula had been used and reused and recycled. Mm-hmm. So even when we watched the original, it just felt like all this other same old generic crap we've been watching all well, our because lives. we've been watching a thousand derivatives of it already. Yeah, mostly from Hanna Barbera right, themselves. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, which, which will be that'll become another running theme in this show. Actually, Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, the interesting bit with this too mm-hmm. is. Uh, most of these shows were shown in what we would consider prime time. Yeah, that's something I think most people don't realize. The amount of sheer amount of... Mm-hmm. that There's almost always been prime time cartoons. Like, almost always, right yeah. from the beginning. It's been very rare that there wasn't some prime time cartoons. But they were never dominant. They were never the main form. I mean, there's always like... Essentially, the best way to think of it is there's always been a Simpsons. It's been under different yeah. names. It's been different shows. Sometimes it's called the Flintstones. But it's uh, <laughs> sometimes it's called the Jetsons. Sometimes it's called Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. And that's a reference I'm sure that's like many of our audience are going, what? <laughs> What's he talking about? But we'll get to that later. I, I, can, I can do you one better. Sometimes it's called the Barclays. Ooh. Sometimes it's called the Roman Holidays. Okay, you got me on that one. The Roman Holidays? Oh, that one I don't know. Yeah, there were there were almost as many Flintstone ripoffs as there are Scooby Doo ripoffs. Well, because Flintstones was super ultra mega popular. Yes, it was. And so, as an end result, because it was so damn popular, um, everyone ripped it off. Duh. Mostly Hanna Barbera. Well, again. yeah. For a recapture, it. I mean, if you can sell one <laughs> show, well, again, is it any different though than what goes on now? I mean, with... Oh, uh, hell, not at all. I mean, the studios that produced, what, uh, Family Guy has produced, what, three or four shows. They keep ripping themselves off. They just... Yeah, basically. They just re- <laughs> they just uh, change the color and designs of the cast and basically make a new version of Family Guy. Call More it something less. else. Yeah. Yeah, and then that goes to the, the TV thing, too, is that formula mm-hmm. has been around since 
ironically enough, the honeymooners. Yes, it has. And like it's it's the honeymooners plus yep, kids. Basically, well, I think we might mention that another show. Maybe we didn't. Um, that the honeymooners itself was, or sorry, the Flintstones itself was supposed to be a honeymooners animated series, but they couldn't mm-hmm. get the rights, so they just. Yeah. Change said, okay, they're cavemen, and we'll change them just enough that uh, the Honeymooners can't sue us. And yep. that's – there we go. There's the Flintstones. Yep. And then it's it's one of those interesting things because uh, I remember a friend of ours had talked about entertainment in general mm-hmm. where he said you can't really expect big dramatic changes. Everything happens in baby mm-hmm. steps. That's true. And it reminds me that, because again, the Flintstones was the Honeymooners, but then they added kids. Mm -hmm. And then that's sort of the formula that so many of our sitcoms afterwards followed. That's true. And I I think that got into the uh, the lexicon, I guess, because the Flintstones was just impossibly popular. It was. Still is in some ways. Yeah, like, it's it's, it's still in rerun. Mm -hmm. And they keep doing, like, new new Mm -hmm. stuff. For better or worse, sometimes. Yep, that's true. But yeah, usually for worse. <laughs> it's like Scooby Doo. There was one original show that was super mega popular and was awesome, and then ever since then they've just been doing like crap copies of it. They keep doing crap remakes again and again and again. Well, it depends because they've done some. Uh, I'd say last like say five mm-hmm. years, they've done some Scooby Doo's that were actually good shows. Really, which ones were actually good? I liked uh, Mystery Inc. Okay, yeah, I did hear that one. Which bad? Yeah, they did. They did the inter- What they did to change it up a little is, it's a continuing mm-hmm. story, and it's the origin of the team, right? But but the extra twist they added to that is you find out that like Fred and Velma and the gang weren't the first team. That's an interesting twist. That there was another one, and their mascot was uh, Professor Pericles, who is this like super intelligent bird. Okay, who you find out is he's like Hannibal Lecter. He's totally evil and insane, and they have him locked okay. up. Okay, because at one point in the series, they have to go. They figure out that there was this other team that for some reason nobody talks mm-hmm. about, and they find out about him, and they have to get him like released from prison to help them track down what happened to the other team. And he's like always screwing with them. And, and yeah, it's, 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 uh, huh. it's actually a pretty good oh, show. Okay. <laughs> Cause they also did the trick with that too, that mixed it up is they added the new things to the formula, like the Hannibal Lecter character that there's any mystery show since silence of the mm-hmm. lambs has the evil turncoat right. guy. Like, that's popular. And then they played on the fact that most of the people watching probably know who Scooby-Doo and the gang are. Mm -hmm. So they played on you already knowing this stuff. And then did all these weird little twists in that, that it was things that's kind of always been there, but you never thought of. Huh. Okay. And then they got into, like, say, everybody's family. Because you're like, well, they've got parents. Where the hell are their parents? Who let them go wandering across the countryside in a van? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they they address that, and you meet their families, and you find out more about what's going on there. And it was it was interesting because again, it didn't really contradict anything. Mm-hmm. So that one was pretty good. Sounds hmm. it. But it but there's been so many ones that just weren't. <laughs> okay. 
all right, so we better get back on track. Yeah, and there were many that weren't, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we're probably going to be coming back to this in about 20 okay, minutes. Okay, so... so. Uh, <laughs> So that was the 50s, basically. So what... Yeah, 50s going yeah, into okay. the 60s. So what happened in the 60s that was a big revolution in TV in uh, TV animation? Uh, the big thing that happened in the 60s was Saturday morning. Saturday morning? What's special about Saturday morning? <laughs> and the sad thing is anybody listening who's like 30 or under is probably saying that exact same thing. Ooh. And, and I just died a little inside thinking about well, that. Well, anyway... Um, <laughs> But what happened was they had um they started moving into the weekends. Mm -hmm. So they had the the Saturday morning block that they were putting shows in and a lot of it was the Krusty the Clown kind of mm -hmm. stuff. But what they started doing was adding more new content to Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. Why? And well cuz they they knew that you had all these kids that were watching TV. Mm -hmm. And mom and dad were probably sleeping and couldn't complain about what you were showing to the mm -hmm. kids. And that was a big a big thing because it became a, an advertising right. point. That they realized all these kids are in one spot. We can sell them stupid kid stuff. Yeah, do mm. that. It became a perfect ad captive advertising audience. Yeah. And then again, too, it became like a dumping ground for uh, some of the shows that came in the previous decade mm -hmm. that would now be shown Saturday morning. So you had the filler. They were still showing some of the old, uh, like the old, uh, like, uh, movie mm -hmm. stuff like your bugs, bunnies. Um, Felix, the cat was another one that was popular at the time, Tom and Jerry. Right. And then they started having new stuff creep mm -hmm. in. And that was, uh, like I say, that started Saturday morning as kind of this refuge for TV cartoons. Well, you know, they need to fill that space with something, right? And ki and kids were yeah. watching, so why not? Yeah, and, and to that end, it mm -hmm. took them a little while to figure out, wait, we can sell them stuff. Oh, yeah, that's true. And, and it also led to weird things, because uh, I know, again, another thing we've talked about before, everybody makes a big stink over... Um, the Flintstones, they did ads where, like, Fred and Barney are hawking cigarettes. Yep. And, again, you got to remember when that show first came out, it wasn't considered a kid's show. It was a regular yeah. show. And those were ads like they did for any other show where the characters would, like, stop in the middle of the action. And sometimes when I'm being shot at by extraterrestrials, I enjoy a good smooth vodka. Blah, right, blah. exactly. And then, yeah, those kind of disappeared once it got moved to prime, like from prime time to Saturday mm -hmm. morning. And then to us, <clears throat> it seems strange to see those old ads. Right. Uh, because we remember stuff like the Flintstones as after school or Saturday right. morning cartoons, which was always classically considered kid mm. stuff. That's true. I have often wondered about that, whether the we'll call it kidification of animation that occurred is mostly the result of that. It's mostly the result of like the Saturday morning approach. I mean, because people at one point did view animation as just a general medium. Yeah. And then at some point, things shifted to it's not a general medium anymore. It's just kid stuff. Even though, mm -hmm. as we just mentioned earlier, there's always been adult, well, no, I don't want to say adult, general audience cartoons or for a more mature audience, like the Flintstones, for example, yeah. or the Simpsons nowadays. Um, yeah. There's always been there, but in general, people are like animation equals children. At least they were. Right. Things are shifting now, mostly thanks to the Japanese stuff and other things. But 
for a very long time. And I'm wondering if that's partly the result of um, Saturday morning. I I think you're right, but there's an extra little twist that comes up in like the mid-60s. Oh, what is it? Well, okay. Um, TV cartoons had their Fred Wortham. Mm -hmm. They did. And I know we... Yep, I know we've mentioned that the the, the the 54 Senate subcommittee hearing on juvenile delinquency. Which basically turned comics into um, a children's art form at that point. Yep. Because uh, you weren't allowed to show and, anything that was... Basically, yeah, it forced the comics companies... That's another whole episode. But it forced the comics companies yeah. to basically start self-censorship. And suddenly you weren't allowed to commit crimes anymore in comics. And taking over the world is not a crime. And you can't have real criminals in comics. <laughs> so we now supervillains are now silly, etc., etc. Which completely wrecks comic books for like a generation or two. Yep. And it also does the idea, because these hearings were done... Mm-hmm. Um, under the guise of juvenile delinquency, that's another thing that made that big connection between comic book and Mm. kid. That it wasn't a moral panic, this will cause adults to turn to communism. It was, this stuff is corrupting the children. Yeah, like, you, you don't generally see too many arguments about nowadays about you know and when the kids are watching all this pornography that's being aimed at them then because everybody knows it's not right yeah that's true but and and again that was what comic books were until those hearings when it became everything was in context the mm, kids. that's true and that happened in the 60s because as saturday morning got popular they added right. stuff a uh, big thing that got added that ties into this point was the superheroes mm-hmm. That your uh, Marvel and DC characters, uh, Marvel was just starting to, to get big mm-hmm. as as a comic book company, and, and their their products were insanely popular. Mm-hmm. So they made uh, semi animated shows based on them with mm-hmm. theme songs that'll stick in your head for a very years. limited animation. But yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, the DC guys started doing some some. Mm-hmm. And you had other companies that were doing, like, superheroes. That's where you got, like, Super President and stuff right. like that. Hanna-Barbera did all kinds. They did Space Ghost. They did The Impossibles. There was... mm-hmm. And at that time, you had the uh, TV cartoons Fred Wortham show mm-hmm. up. And that was Tipper Gore and the Action for Children's Television. When did that happen? What year? Uh, that was... I don't know the exact year. It was mid sixties. I want to. I want to say sixty five. Okay. But I'm not a hundred percent on that. But it was around Wait, that. Are time. you telling me that Tipper Gore tried to ruin both animation and music? Yes, she does. She comes back every few years with like uh, wanting to step on everything. Oh fun. my god, she's she's like Sauron, except she's just like she's the <laughs> evil monster that keeps coming back every couple of years in the in the in twentieth century to try to ruin everything that's fun in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god now you sound like Rush okay anyway, anyway yeah sorry the, the the reason for that joke if anybody doesn't get it is she's al gore's like mm. wife people don't don't realize that well i'll whenever but, and whenever al gore would rise up politically she would come with him she's kind of a package deal yeah basically mm. but your comment explains the attraction because al gore isn't the most vibrant human on earth that's true anyway. well as soon as he manages to get up there she just steps in front of him and takes over well with some of this mm. yeah and then that was the big thing that the uh the act did is they complained about the violence mm-hmm. and they complained about the advertising okay 
Uh, because, again, they realized that you've got kids who are basically unsupervised, that you can sell them all kinds of stuff that's horrible for them, even though it's really fun. Mm-hmm. And as a result of the ACT, you had all kinds of new rules that were put in place um, for what was considered kid shows. Right. And as a side effect, that's when you also got this idea of prime time as being like more grown up. Right, TV. right, yeah. Because and I and again I think what happened it was like we said with uh, Fred Wortham mm-hmm. that this this put cartoons squarely as kid stuff yep. because that was how it was framed mm. off. Okay, so yes, in the 1970s, that's what prevented children's television from just being toy commercials, basically. Yep. Right. Okay, that makes sense. And but it also kind of ghettoized cartoons at the same time. Yeah, and it prevented other stuff, because it's like if anybody remembers the old Super Friends cartoon. Yeah, of course. Nobody hit anybody. Yeah, they weren't allowed to. Yeah, you you, you kind of have to like just outwit the bad guy, and then he'd see the error of his ways, mm. and that would be and like, really? Yeah, 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 exactly. That's why the only cool episode of that entire series that I remember as a kid, anyway, was the one with Gentleman Jim Ghost. Oh, okay. Because that's the catch, right? It. He could. He was turning everyone into like evil ghost spirits. But the thing is that that they could actually get away with. He was a villain that was yeah. actually doing something. And yeah. I remember that as a kid because he actually kind of scared me because he was actually like, "Oh my god, this villain's actually competent and he's actually like accomplishing <laughs> his goals and he's winning." And these super friend ghosts are all kind of creepy and oh my god. And so, Gentleman Jim Ghost was the only Super Friends episode I actually remember really remember well because it was the only one that was actually effective because he was doing something. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that's my. Well, rant. see that. Okay, Super Friends ran over. Oh, oh no, because that ties in great too. Because part of the thing was um, the rules that basically got handed down by the U.S. government over the uh, the ACT protests mm-hmm. uh, was there were a lot of limits put on the the, the ads you could right. sell. And shows that tied directly into a product are generally considered ads. Mm -hmm. Um, There was the big thing. You couldn't put um, what could be considered imitative behavior Mm -hmm. in. So you couldn't have, like, Batman punch a villain because kids could do that. But you could have a villain turn Batman into an evil ghost because that's not something kids could talk. Exactly. And then the third thing that happened that explains a lot of anybody our age, our childhoods was um, there was uh, a moratorium put on that you had to have during the kids' times a certain percentage of educational TV. The theory being that it yeah. would force the cartoons to actually be educational. Yeah. And and that was why you'd get stuff like, again, the Super Friends cartoon for the commercial breaks. You'd have arts and crafts. You'd have, like, Wonder Woman saying, oh, if you see a strange dog, let him smell you first so he can decide if he wants to bite you or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was... Yeah, that counted towards the educational mm-hmm, bit. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that did what uh, a lot of people our age will remember was you'd get the little um, breaks between shows like Schoolhouse yep, Rock. Yep, that's what those were for. Yeah, and that was to meet this educational this educational like uh, time mm-hmm. for for your shows. Right. That makes sense. And then at that and at, yeah, at that point, Saturday morning was pretty much kidified. Yeah, yeah, basically. I thought it would have had to be. It had no choice. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. There's why TV animation for a very long time kind of sucked. At least in our childhoods it did, anyway. Some 
some of it did, and it, it explains why. Because I, again, I, I, I think somebody young watching, like say the shows we watched as mm-hmm. a kid, it would just probably boggle their mind, and a lot of it being this educational right. stuff. It, it would be like, what, what, why are the Brady kids? Talking to Abraham Lincoln. How did that happen? Well, because they could say, no, it's educational. It's history. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's why you'd get those strange episodes, like these weird pseudo-historical things. Well, yeah, because or... they had to constantly work in something that they could claim was educational. Yeah. <laughs> and so that kind of sort of almost ghettoized and ruined Saturday morning. Um, yeah, it- it did. There were exceptions because there were people who were willing to kind of push things a mm-hmm. little bit. But part of the problem too is because um, TV animation had to be inexpensive. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do a lot of flash. Right, that's true. So you could you couldn't catch people's attention like with your awesome effects. No, because it was super simple. Again, remember a lot of TV animation from the period is only a step above motion comics at this point. Yeah. Um, and so, and you'd think, well, okay, so, so they can just use really nice art. No, they didn't have time for really nice art either. Oh, hell no. And it's this is also why, if you look, um, in going into the 70s, uh, the Saturday morning shows had a lot of live action. Mm. And that was because, again, live action was actually easier and kind of, in some cases, cheaper it's to do. It's basically just cheap filler. Yeah, and that's that was kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. Like I say, if you want an example of kind of... Uh, Somebody trying hard. I always use the uh, uh, the, the the Star Trek animated series, right. hmm. which was a, came out as a Saturday morning. Good show. example, yeah, yeah. And you can look at because the it's filmation, so the animation is cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, they recycle mm-hmm. a lot. They kind of make do fairly well with what they got because right. um, the filmation doctrine was that you were only allowed. A certain, uh, it was a number of frames, basically a certain number of minutes of new footage. In right, everything else had to be recycled, yeah. Yeah, and that's why, like, some people might remember going into the 80s, like, He-Man was filmation. Mm-hmm. And that's why when He-Man would run, it was always the exact same shot of exactly. He-Man running. Exactly, always. Yeah, and that's that's why, because you were only allowed, like, you know, an extra five minutes an episode of new yeah, exactly. film. Yeah. But if you <clears> watch <throat> the Star Trek one, um, the people who wrote it, a lot of them were the, the people who wrote the original yeah, show. They were. And a lot of the episodes, there's a bunch that were episodes that they wanted to do for the regular show or were sequels to episodes from the regular mm. show. So you had this fairly highbrow conceptual stuff with the decent writing yeah. with super cheap animation. Yeah, piss poor animation. Mm. I don't know if I'd quite say piss poor because, again, I've seen stuff that was worse. Uh, That's true. But it was. It was super. It was super cheap. Yeah, yeah, it was. And that was another reason. Uh, if anybody's seen it, you, you're probably familiar with the eyeball shots. The eyeball shots. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, like so, somebody say, "Spock, we're all going to die," and it'd be like this ultra close up of Spock, oh, right? Basically, just and he'd raise an eyebrow. Well, it's because they're using the same footage, but they're zooming yeah, in yeah. to make it look like new they, footage. Yeah, they used all sorts of tricks to do that because again, it's expensive. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. And then in the 70s, mm-hmm. what you had happen, right. the next big thing was... Uh, the next big thing was... Are you talking about the shift where they got rid of the those rules and allowed uh, toy... Comer- basically cartoons to get turned into toy commercials? 
Nope, that wasn't. That was yeah. That's what I thought. That's was the eighties. So what was the seventies thing that we're looking for? Because this ties into into that really well in in a few years. Um, In the seventies, you had Mm -hmm. because a lot of the studios had kind of gotten the hang of doing TV animation, and you had um, the first run syndicated Mm -hmm. shows, which was um, at this point you had uh, network affiliates. And you had like your uh, UHF channels. Oh, right. Yep. Yep. Oh, right. Of course. The syndicated. Now stations. I understand what you're talking about. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for people who don't realize um, TV history, mm-hmm. uh, like we were saying, there were originally, like, I'll say, three and a half networks. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that happened was technology advanced to the point they could add a second right. dial to your TV. So you had more frequencies that you could use, and that was your 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 lower your lower band stations, mm-hmm. your UHF, um, which was your double digits, right. essentially. And those were bought by by smaller companies. They mm-hmm. were usually local. So channel twenty here was like WXN, right. yeah, 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 all the smaller independent stations. Yep, but yeah, but that frequency channel twenty um, in Alberta. Would be a totally right. different station because it was owned by someone mm-hmm. totally different, and these these guys had uh, mm-hmm. space to fill, and you what you started getting was a before school and an after school block right. of cartoons, and you had companies because the companies were taking off. Saturday mm-hmm. morning was a big hit in the fifties. The primetime stuff was a big hit. They thought, well, we can mm-hmm. do this again. And they started doing new shows for those blocks, right? And and that was um, that was the next big step. Where now you had cartoons that happened mm-hmm. all week. Uh, again, not, not in prime that, time, it was just after school it, and early mornings. Yeah, because it was still considered yep. kids stuff. So you were putting it in times where kids right. were going to see. Well, it. this was the point, yeah, where the oh, was it the FCC loosened up, and they basically said, yeah, your independent stations can exist. And of course, these independent independent yeah. stations suddenly needed content to fill, and old cartoons were cheap, and kids watched them. So suddenly they so that's what they they basically were flooded with at this point. Yeah, well, they did that. They did uh, new ones. And one of the mm-hmm. other things that had caught on towards the end of the 60s that you started to see more in the mm-hmm. uh, weekday slots was they would bring um, some British and a lot of Japanese shows over. And they'd redub them because at this time, international rights for TV were kind of like a strange right, mythical yeah. beast. So you could go to, to say, Japan... Pick up a TV show like uh, that's where mm-hmm. Speed Racer, uh, yep. Kimba the White Lion. Go back a little bit. You had like Eight Man mm-hmm. Gigantor. You could buy these for really cheap because the Japanese already made right, the yeah. money on them. You chop the hell out of them, dub in some silly voices, probably featuring featuring Billy Joe Watt. Yep. she did like everything, and then you would have more of this mm-hmm. like cheap filler. And I think there was something about they could get around some of the restrictions with it too, because it wasn't uh, a domestic right. show. I guess so. Um, kind of. Kinda. There was something, uh, I don't remember. It was something small, but it was one of the reasons why you would see like from, from the late sixties, early 70 period, 
in the Super Friends, Batman can't punch right. out the Joker. But in the opening to Speed Racer, he runs a guy off the road, the guy's car explodes, yeah, and yeah, yeah. he's dead. <laughs> that There was some kind of catch why you could get away with that in the import stuff, but not so much right. the American stuff. And even then, you had to edit it, because um, the after-school spot in the 70s, one of the most popular shows ever, was Battle of the Planets. Yes, it was. Which was Gotcha Man, chopped it's up into It's one of the very pieces. first cartoons I actually remember watching from my childhood. That was, I saw it on a, at a friend's house one day, and it blew my mind. And that was the first cartoon yeah. I remember going out of my way to find and watch, ever. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, what is this? I have to watch more. Yeah, because it was nothing, yeah, nothing like nothing our at all. stuff. It was completely different and completely awesome. Mm-hmm. And then the irony is years later, finding out that in Japan, it was another one of these like primetime general mm-hmm. audience shows. And then you realize just how much they chopped it up to get it on yeah, American they television. Yeah, chopped it up a lot. It was sliced and diced. Yeah, there's yeah, there's an episode that only has, I think, five minutes of footage from the original episode. Because for one reason or another, they just couldn't use the rest of the footage, often for censorship purposes. Yep. Um, there was censorship, and the other thing that happened was... Um, the Japanese did their shows, like especially their cartoons, as a continuing mm. story. So every season had a beginning, yep. a middle, and an end, and all the episodes right. ran in order. But we didn't do that here. Right, that you're right, we didn't, did we? Um, we 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 want nope. episodic so they could be shown in any order at any time. Didn't matter. Yeah, and the episode that gets chopped the most from Battle of the Planets, if I remember correctly, it's the one where you find out. Forty year old spoiler mm-hmm. alert, by the way. That red impulse is actually uh, Mark's uh, father. Mark, yeah, or, uh, yeah, and it was because the problem when you did that is that that splits yes, the story. If you leave that idea in, because then later on when he he sees right. them or thinks of them, it changes right. that context. And then, as I recall, it was like super violent, and they had like a big like aircraft fight scene where. In typical Japanese fashion, it wasn't just a puff of light and then the guy parachutes out. They would show the screen. Yeah, yeah guy of course, because that's the, the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, basically. Right. But there was a lot. Like, um, when you get to the mm-hmm. 70s, there was a lot of the Japanese stuff that was being brought over mm. as this film. Well, because it's cheap. Um, yeah, and as a kid, it was exciting because, like I said, uh, we'd send Ed up to screw mm-hmm. around with the antenna. And you'd find a station broadcasting from some other city because none of the affiliates were they bought and they bought their right. own packages. And you would find a station that was showing something you'd right. never seen before. A uh, big one here too was we had uh, two mm-hmm. French stations that showed a lot of Japanese right. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Though, well, the French love the and Japanese a, stuff. Yep, and a mm-hmm. Spanish station. Because when I was a kid, I got to see stuff like uh, mm-hmm. Rybon, and a few years later, the uh, the original versions right. of Voltron. And what the hell is the show with the guy? He's like dressed all in white, wraps his head up, drives a white motorcycle. Oh, Moonlight Mask. Yeah, that that like they that was on all the time for some reason in Spanish. So right. Well, but yeah, much, yeah but... Spanish doesn't matter. Hmm. And, and yeah, it was just because it was mm-hmm. cheap and plentiful. 
uh, Hanna-Barbera started doing stuff for in, in that time, too, because it was, uh, I think it was packages of the fantastic world mm-hmm. of Hanna-Barbera, where every day of the week, that slot featured right. a different show. And they did a bunch, like, this was the era where the uh, Scooby-Doo ripoffs flew fast mm-hmm. and furious. <laughs> and and part of it was because they needed to, that, that was what they'd fill right. that slot with. And I suppose, sorry, continue, um, sorry. I was going to say, we oh, no, should probably touch on that, how Scooby-Doo also kind of broke Saturday morning. Yeah, that's probably the best because way to Because literally it, yeah. there was a time when almost everything on Saturday morning was four kids and, an, and a mascot going places and solving problems of one kind or another. Usually mysteries, yeah. but well, not there's... always. I mean, and that was the template that yeah, everything ca- was crammed into. Yeah. There's a catch oh, to that. What's though. the catch? Because I was I was going through and, mm-hmm. and thinking on this. Uh, Scooby Doo mm-hmm. came out in in like I want right. to say '67, which by the time I saw it as a kid, I didn't realize it was already right. half a decade old. But Scooby Doo came out and it was a little different because if anybody's seen the original, um, it was drawn. The colors were a little mm-hmm. more muted. Heavier lines. They were kind of making an attempt in a, in like a kid kind of way mm. to be creepy, and that I think was part of it. Um, it was that mm-hmm. group dynamic because you had like that set up the team, and that every team of 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 plucky teenagers after right. would be forever. Um, because they put the the trick that again fifty year old mm-hmm. spoiler alert. That the the ghost was always, you know, it's Farmer Flanagan. Ah, I'm scaring you off my field because the oil company mm-hmm. wanted it. Blah, blah, blah. Nobody was actually committing like a, a, a well, real they were crime. To, right? So. Yep. But it right. felt like that. And it felt like the, because you take there. It's like a ghost. It's, ooh, that guy's spooky. And then, no, it's just the farmer and the cops haul him away. And there's actually that makes a sense. And I it. never thought about that. How, yeah, trying to scare kids off your land is not a crime. So that's why they could just, that's why they could get around the rules and show it. Yeah. And it's not like little Billy's going to dress up like a ghost pirate and rob Yeah, the that makes sense. It, yep. And, and because of that, it had, I don't want to say mm-hmm. edge, but it had a little more bite to it than the other stuff that was being shown. So at the that's time. why we probably. That, it's interesting how we tuned into whatever had edge as a kid. That's what we tended to remember. Yep, and we were discussing that before in like the uh, Pokemon mm, episode. That it well, and it's because like you don't want to watch something that exactly. nothing happens, unless you're a Twilight Ooh. fan. Who burn? Okay. But <laughs> and there goes our Twilight fan. Our yeah, one Twilight yeah, fan yeah, in the true. audience. <laughs> But anyway, you, you you want something that, yeah, it's going to, you're going to be, what the hell's going to happen now? And even as a kid's show, you don't want it to be sanitary because it doesn't have to be like Game of Thrones, but you want a little bit of an edge. You do. Exactly. And Scooby-Doo did that. And then what ended up happening, Scooby-Doo isn't exactly the formula that everybody ripped off. Oh, there's two, because Hanna-Barbera, a couple of years later, because Scooby-Doo was so popular, mm-hmm. ripped themselves off, but did it in a way that's just different enough, I think it starts a new branch in the family tree. Oh, okay. And that show was... Actually, I don't know. What show was it, Don? You're going to slap yourself. That was Josie and the Pussycats. Oh! 
Okay, yep. yeah, you're right. I just thought myself. You're right, it is. Because they're basically Scooby and the gang. Right. They, they even have the, they have the cat. I forget yep. the Alexandra's cat. I forget his name. But mm-hmm. he's kind of the Scooby role. Mm-hmm. It's the same formula. Well, what they changed a little bit was um, they weren't hunting down crooks that were perpetrating mysteries. Mm-hmm. They were basically fighting James Bond villains. Yes. But they were doing it in exactly the same way as Scooby in the game. With music. And the, yeah, and that was... Because Scooby-Doo, the original, did that. That you'd have these contemporary pop songs that would play during the chase scene. Mm-hmm. So when they did Josie and the Pussycats, they put the focus on that. Mm-hmm. That they were a band. And for no apparent reason every episode, they would just stop and play a gig. And I'm presuming that they also sold records, LPs, they, 45s, they, whatever, of those songs. They did one... LP, mm-hmm. and because I believe that the, uh, and I might be wrong, mm-hmm. that the singer was uh, Cheryl Ladd, right, from uh, Charlie's Angels. Really, years after that, yeah, I think she was. She was in the band. I think she was the singer. Wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Not a, not a hundred percent sure. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure that yeah, that was one of her first gigs. Hmm. And then that became. The two of them are, are almost the same formula, mm-hmm. but you would see when the 100 million ripoffs came out, right. you would see they all look alike because, again, mm-hmm. on the surface, they're all exactly the same. Well, they are the same, basically, yeah. But you would get like um, something like uh, Goober and the Ghost Chasers. Right, yeah. Which is definitely Scooby-Doo. Right. And then you'd get Jabberjaw. Which is definitely Josie and the Pussycats. Interesting. I never realized that there was actually those two kind of parallel lines running next to each other. Yeah, because over the years, what you'll see happens is everybody, the the, the gang being a band, Mm -hmm. is part of that formula now. Right. That you see when you see parodies and that, they're always like a band. But Mm -hmm. that was sort of this parallel formula until you ended up getting like the Funky Phantom. Okay. Where it it was a ghost that chased James Bond villains with a team of plucky kids and a cat in the car. Right. Because there were a lot of them were like the car was was after Speedbug, mm-hmm. which was again Josie and the Pussycats with a car. Hmm. You had a, you had a run of shows that there was a a, a sentient vehicle, which is kind of creepy. Yep. That was part of the team. I remember those. Yep. Yeah, and that was, and it's all sort of from the same Scooby branch of the family tree, right. but they're they kind of go a little different ways sometimes, right. and sometimes they don't, and it's like, wow, this is just a total yep. ripoff. All right, so we should get moving on to the eighties. Um, the big event that occurred at the beginning of the eighties was, of course, that the rules that had been in place for most of the seventies that prevented cartoons from being just toy commercials were relaxed, yep. and. Because of Ronald because Reagan. Of Ronald Reagan. And so this started a, what would be the best term, Don? Uh, tsunami? Um, flood? Because <laughs> um, suddenly all the animation companies went to the toy companies and said, you know, we can make a show that's basically a half-hour toy commercial. And the, the toy company said, really? And so <laughs> this is the era of G.I. Joe, the Transformers... And yep, there's a couple. pretty much anything that was a toy was also a TV show at one point. Almost everything. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple of steps before that. Oh, okay. Let's go back then. 
and this is this is again where it starts starts getting a little odd mm-hmm. because um, the thing that kind of sets all this off that nobody realized set it all off right. was the Micronauts comic. Okay, that I truly did not know. Explain, please. Okay, what happened was uh, the Micronauts were a series of toys. They were Microman from Japan. That Mego got the rights to do here. Uh, they changed the story a bit. They changed some of the the the, the toys mm-hmm. up, and then they sold them here as the Micronauts. Right. Uh, there was a couple guys at Marvel Comics that their the one guy's son had got a bunch of these, and they thought they were awesome. They said this would make a great comic. Mm-hmm. So they dickered back and forth with Mego, and they got the rights to do a comic book based on the toys. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting to note is this is kind of the first of the modern version of the toy story reciprocity. Mm-hmm. So the comic doesn't really follow the toys exactly. No, it doesn't. No, it's got its own story. Mm-hmm. Um, it borrows a lot of the imagery, some of the ideas, but it's definitely its own story. Right. Um, Migo only came up with a very threadbare story for the toys. Right. Because that again... Uh, when toys came out, it was assumed the kids will come up with their own mm. story. Uh, Mego, to unify it, came up with just this this very basic mm-hmm. one that Marvel took, fleshed it out. Uh, they're very different, mm. the toys and the comic. Yeah. And both are very different from the Japanese version. Right. And what ended up happening was that got to be super mega popular. Right. When you got to the early 80s, um, there was like a wave of militarism. If you remember, that was like Rambo oh, yeah. and like Rambo two, where he comes back and retroactively wins the Vietnam war and yep, stuff. Yep. Hasbro said, well, we've been sitting on GI Joe for a while. Let's bring them back. Mm. And they went to Marvel and they said, do what you did with the Micronauts for GI Joe. Right. And Larry Hama ended up being the guy in, in charge. And it's funny because the impression that I get was that nobody else wanted to touch mm. him. That they were like, oh no, I'm too busy writing Spider-Man to sully my work with mm-hmm. materialism of crass quality like right, this. Right, yeah. And then Hama got it, and because nobody cared, nobody paid attention, he fleshed it out. He, he as I understand, came up with most of the characters. Mm-hmm. He came up with the idea, because Hasbro just said, um, here's what they're going to be. Here's the right, toys. Yeah. And he came up with the story, and he came up with that idea of putting a backstory to the figure. Mm-hmm. And he did all of the, the he, it, it's G.I. Joe, the, the 80s real American hero G.I. Joe is basically him. Mm, yeah. And it was because nobody, like, wanted to bother him because they all thought, well, whatever, just some stupid right, thing. Right, yeah. That was going on. Those those two things, mostly the G.I. Joe thing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, the standards for children's television are relaxed. Mm-hmm. You can now do toy tie-ins. And they said, well, we're going to do... Let's do a G.I. Joe right. show. Now, what was happening at the time, and this is um, one of my eternal regrets, mm-hmm. that we here in North America, we never quite became Japan. Okay, I have similar and, regrets, but probably connected to different things. Mine involve mostly cat girls. But okay, sure, what's okay. yours? <laughs> it was the idea that when you look at Japan in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, their animation took off yes. because they, they worked really yeah, cheap. yeah. And a lot of people hired out, like even our companies here hired out to Japan. Yep. They got a lot of work. Mm-hmm. They got really good in a hurry. Mm-hmm. 
And they started experimenting because they had this big market and they did stuff that it's not a kid's show. They did stuff that it's science fiction with like, like beautiful animation that we spent money on mm-hmm. and stuff. And they screwed around with stories and, and making good solid right. shows. We were kind of hitting that point mm-hmm. about the time the G.I. Joe cartoon happened. Right. And it's because if you look, um, some of the shows that I think about, which were some of my favorites, mm-hmm. uh, would be the 80s uh, Galaxy High. Yep. Uh, there, <coughs> oh, excuse me, there was uh, Mighty Orbots. Yeah, I was going to say Mighty Orbots, yeah. Uh, you get something like uh, Adventures of the Galaxy yeah, Rangers. Yeah, oh yeah. These were shows that they were sinking money into. Mm-hmm. They were written just to be a show. Yes. Like, the show came first. Mm-hmm. And, and when you watch... Hmm? Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Which was an exception at this point because people were... Mostly just backing toy commercials at that point. So to yep, do a every, show, to do an original show, was actually quite a risk. Yep, and it was happening less often. Yep, exactly. And that was um, that was one of the things uh, I was reading about the uh, Adventures of the Galaxy Rangers mm-hmm. was really popular, right? But the audience skewed too high, so it was like basically I think it was like fourteen to twenty five yeah. loved the mm-hmm. show. Yeah, they did, and the. And that was too high for the toy company, so they couldn't get a company on board to make, like, the toys. Yep. And that was why the show didn't get renewed. Sounds right. Even though it was even though it was really popular. Hmm. And you had, um, the G.I. Joe cartoon, I think, is significant, because it was the first Marvel Sunbow production. Right. And it was cheap. Mm-hmm. And as the Marvel Sunbow Unholy Godless Alliance progressed... They realized you could make stuff really cheap and kids will still watch it. Yes, they did. And they produced and the a lot was, of stuff. Oh, they did. Like, um, nostalgia aside, if you watch the 80s Transformers cartoon, mm-hmm. yeah, they're almost unwatchable. Some of them, yeah. Okay, yeah, they are. Most, most of them are, and the plots are baffling. Right. When you when you start getting to, like, their third-tier stuff, like Bigfoot and the monster trucks, you know, it's like, why am I doing this? I remember that, yep. Gem and the Holograms. <clears throat> well, Gem and the Holograms is different, though. Oh, why? Uh, it was one of the ones that, from what I understand, because mm-hmm. I had a friend who was really into cartoons, and she told me all, because this is one of the shows when she was young, she loved. Right. And it was because when they did the toys... I get the impression they didn't have like a real clear cut story. Mm-hmm. It was okay. You guys do it for the show. Right. It was this just like dumbass girly show that as I recall it, it, I don't know if it was its own thing or if it was one of those like combo shows. I think it was a combo show. at something mm-hmm. else. And they were kind of left alone and I guess they put a story into mm-hmm. it. So even though it's like cheap ass animation and, and barely written, it has a progressive story because I know at one point one of the characters gets married. Right, really. That it, yeah, it actually had, and a lot of like people who watched right. it, which I didn't because it didn't have robots hitting exactly anything. me too. Yeah, but they loved it because it was essentially a kid soap opera. Yeah, that makes sense. And that was why it it was so popular, even though it's sort of a footnote in most histories of animation. Mm. And to me, that's kind of a shame because that gets us a little closer to the kind of things the Japanese were starting to right. do. Hmm. And it all gets squashed because, again, it's everything becomes super cheap toy ads. Right. Yeah, that's true. 
they were they were well toys were where the money was and so therefore that's where yeah. you got to go yeah and that's the shame because then nobody did anything original yeah. well toys and also remember there were other tie-ins as well just like we mentioned the brady yeah. kids earlier there was a gary coleman show anything any mm-hmm. kid that became popular on a primetime sitcom got their own show that was the yeah, other thing that they did as filler well, they, yeah, there's two versions because there's a 70s and an 80s version. Right. Oh, because let me guess the 70s version, they solve mysteries. The 80s version, <laughs> they hang around with a magical pal and they just have wacky adventures and learn lessons. And learn lessons. Uh, yep. No. Okay. Yep. That's it. <laughs> well, no, the, what, what ends up happening is in the 80s, you had um, mm-hmm. anything that was popular that they thought they could squeeze a few more bucks out mm-hmm. of. They would they would do so yeah you had the Gary Coleman show it was like a Punky Brewster cartoon right um I don't even want to get into like the nightmare that was the Smurfs right in the seventies they did this weird thing where they took something that was popular for adults mm-hmm. and did a kid version mm-hmm. so Evil Knievel was popular so they did Devlin yes the um there was also a Muhammad Ali cartoon Most, I remember yep. watching it as a kid. There was weird ones too, because that was where the Planet of the Apes cartoon comes. Yeah, from. that's true. Which is a, there was a, oh, there's another one like that too. That it was like a, there wasn't a Logan's Run was, cartoon, was there? No, there wasn't. Okay, but there was there was something like that. There was like some I can't remember now. <clears throat> it, it's bugging me. It's right there. It was another one of these like adult like movies that they then turned around and made into a, a kids, kids cartoon, cartoon, sort of. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, that's an interesting choice. But they did it anyway. The, yeah, they did that in the 80s and going into the 90s too. But again, it was stuff that mm-hmm. they thought you could sell toys of. Right. So G.I. Joe took off. So, of course, you had to do a Saturday morning Rambo cartoon. Yes, of course. A bloodless, <laughs> <And then when, laughs> a, a bloodless, actionless, violentless Rambo cartoon. Yes, okay. Yep. And then they did stuff like when you get to like the end of the 80s early 90s one of my all-time favorites was again part of that unholy marvel sunbow thing mm-hmm. was the uh, robocop cartoon yes i remember that thing well Mar- they had a, like a marvel sunbow like adventure hour or something that they basically just filled yeah. all robocop was part of it that's not what it was called i don't remember exactly what it was called but basically that's what it amounted to and they just showed random yeah. sunbow <laughs> cartoons during that slot mostly robocop Plus Bigfoot and the Monster Machines, plus whatever else they were going to manage to slam in. Yeah, I think it was robotics. Yes, they showed robotics. Yeah, you're right. They did. Robocop and robotics. There there were a bunch of those Sunbow ones that they they came and went. There couldn't have been more than, like, say, 20 minutes of footage for these things. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I remember. But the thing is, and this was the annoying thing, every now and then... They would show something else. Like, for example, the very first yeah. X-Men cartoon was shown as part of that Marvel Sunbow Adventure Hour. Oh, uh, what was that? Pride, Pride of the, the X-Men? X-Men, yeah. They yeah, showed it okay. as part of that. So what would, what they do is they'd slip in other Sunbow stuff, usually pilots like Pride of the X-Men, every now and then. Yeah. So you had to keep an eye on the damn show even if you didn't like it because every <laughs> now and then something actually interesting or cool would pop up in that spot. Yeah, they, they started doing that a lot towards uh, the end of the 80s. Mm, mid, yeah, that was like mid-late 80s at that point, yeah. Yeah, because that gets 
heading towards oh my god i'm just remembering so many of them that were like why why Mm -hmm. um but there was there was uh, because rankin base did one uh the comic straight oh that was just uh yikes oh i remember that thing yes yeah yeah there was like four i remember it because um that was another one that changed Mm -hmm. or it became something else because they started showing ulysses 31 in english right and I thought, this is an interesting combination. Ulysses 31, Rainbow Bright, and the Street Frogs. That's, uh, wow. Okay. okay. Well, you know, they're just kind of <laughs> randomly tossing stuff together, right? Yeah, pretty much. <clears throat> but they, they were doing that because what was happening towards the end of the 80s mm-hmm. was uh, TV cartoons were dying. Right, yeah. And I think part of what killed them was, you know, just nobody was doing anything new. Right. Like, they had really... You had kind of um, a heyday in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. You had a heyday in, like, the mid-80s. And then towards the mid-80s, it was starting to peter off. Yes, it was. And then the company that really revived it, I'd say, was Fox. Yeah. yeah Fox I have to Fox agree. came in. Um, they decided they wanted to take over Saturday morning. And so they dumped a bunch of money into producing new things like... Really, the one that start the two that two I guess that really start things off are Batman the animated series and mm-hmm. um, the X Men animated series. I mean, between which both became must watch shows for pretty much everyone back in the very early nineties, right? And to the point where they even showed them in prime time for a little while, but they were ultimately still meant to yeah. be um, either after school or Saturday morning stuff. Because yeah. Fox was moving in, and um, yeah, they they really, for better or for worse, helped revitalize things. Because Batman, I'm sure, was made with toys in mind. I mean, Batman was a popular character at that time already. Yeah, and they, they were coming off the Batman craze of the first Batman movie, the one with Michael Keaton. Um, mm. But it was still a bit of a risk, and the X Men one was yeah. still a bit of a risk. Oh, and this is also where Power Rangers came out during this period too. Um, let's see, uh, Tiny Toon Adventures. Yeah. Well, Tiny Toon was a little earlier. Okay. Uh, this would be Animaniacs. Oh, it, did Animaniacs come before Tiny Toon? Uh, no, Tiny Toons was a little bit before Batman. Right. And then Animaniacs was a little bit after Batman. And contemporary with after. Because Batman ran for, ran for like, yeah. if you count both series, because there's actually two in there, <laughs> it ran for like six, seven years. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was on a lot. Yeah. But it was popular, and again, I think part of that too was they weren't limiting themselves mm-hmm. to tying into the movies or the comics or that. They were doing a show to do a show that just happened to have Batman. Exactly. And they were obviously Batman fans. The people, uh, was it Paul Dini and I'm trying to remember the other. Bruce Tim. Bruce Tim. Yeah, both. I yeah. can't believe I forgot Bruce Tim. Um, yeah, they, <laughs> uh, they were true comic lovers. That's yeah. something of an understatement. And so they absolutely love their comic books and so as an end result yeah. they put their passion into that series and all the series the superman animated series and the justice league eh. one and everything that followed eh. i know superman's eh. a little dull but eh. the, the adventures of super Q. yeah basically yeah well that starts that starts you get the the boost because at what ended up happening mm-hmm. you mentioned power rangers a lot of the the networks on saturday were starting to go live action again yes, there was that trend because that was... All, what was that stupid uh, wacky teen comedy? 
Saved by, Saved the, by Bell. the Bell. Yeah, that was also on NBC, which was quite popular. Yeah, and it was again because live action was easier and cheaper and blah blah blah. Right. Uh, Fox brought it back with Batman and uh, the Tiny Toons and the Animaniacs. Mm. You had other networks that kind of came back for a bit because WB mm. did a Saturday morning block. Right. And it was another one. It wasn't real cheap. They sunk a little. They sunk a couple of bucks into it. Right, yeah. For the most part. Because mm-hmm. um, what ended up happening, I think, mm-hmm. and this is why I groaned like the Justice League and all that later. Mm-hmm. Batman was super popular, but it was cheap animation. It was, yeah, that's true. Looking back on it, it was. But the guys doing it, especially Bruce Tim, they knew it. Mm-hmm. So they, they stylized it up. Right. So even though the actual animation was cheap, it looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. They would actually set scenes in that. Mm-hmm. But what happened, especially with the superhero stuff, mm-hmm. especially the DC stuff, right. was that that became the formula. Right. And everybody, especially DC, they always copied Bruce Tim's style if, if it wasn't him doing it. Mm-hmm. And his style is very simple. <clears throat> um, that was my complaint, was that every female character looks the same, but with a wig. Oh, they made it worse for the second Batman series. The Gotham Knights, one, that's when they super stylized oh. everyone, super simplified yeah. them all. That was yeah. much worse. But it, it was that idea, it was cheap, and as a friend of ours once said, the beauty of what Bruce Timm's style was, he condensed everything down to its essence so much that no studio in Korea could fuck it up. Ooh. Like, yeah. I, you're, you remember him saying that. I do, actually, I do. And that's true. <laughs> and it, it is, it's very true, but when you started going on, cheap became the buzzword for superhero stuff. It did. And and even when you got to, like, the 90s X-Men cartoon, it was terrible. Yes, it was. Sorry, fans, and, and I'm sure there's many people, many of our listeners loved it, but sorry, it was terrible. Yeah, unless you got the Japanese opening. Yeah, the ja- yeah, it's true. The Japanese <laughs> opening is awesome. But yeah, the because the show it was cheap, and they did the thing, and this is where it went back to what happened in the eighties that they were trying to cram all the popular characters into all the popular stories. Yes, but using the current team and not actually allowing real evolution to happen. If you'll pardon the pun. Yeah, and that's and and it, it hearkened to that idea as marketing. Mm, exactly. So, and I think that was, again, you started having, you could already see that there was kind of conflict between mm-hmm. the people doing animation and the, the studio, like the networks. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Because yeah. it, it all went cheap. There were a couple shows, I remember they did uh, in the 90s, Sonic the Hedgehog. Right. And there was the weekday one, mm. which is like a wacky kid show. And the weekend one, which was this brutal post-apocalypse nightmare yeah, that's true. I think it wasn't the weekday <coughs> one. I think the week weekend one was actually like a Japanese one, wasn't it? That they were bringing over, and then the weekday one was an American one. Is that how it went? No, the 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 it was uh, the weekend one was an American one. I don't remember who did it, but it was American. Right. And but you they, could tell why would yeah, you have was... two of them at the same time though? That's so weird. I've never, in all my like years of looking into that, I've never found out exactly why. Hmm. But I have a sneaking suspicion it's because they wanted to, to, to play both ends of the field. Right. That superhero shows were popular, so they wanted something like that. Mm-hmm. And the wacky kid stuff was popular, and they wanted something like that. Right. 
I could see that. I think it was different companies, too, because I think Dick did the uh, weekday one. Right. All right. So uh, so that's the 90s. And mm-hmm. uh, so then we hit the 2000s. which and cartoons die. When cartoons die and then are reborn like a great fiery phoenix. <laughs> like the uh, like the ship from Gatchaman or Battle of the Planets. They, it's, it's reborn because cartoons kind of die around the early 2000s, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then, for whatever reason, um, Cartoon Network gets it into its head to basically start pumping lots of money into new shows. I, in a hmm. lot of ways, the 2000s, you could say, is the era where network television gave up. And hmm. literally did, because Saturday morning ceases to exist. Hmm. Um, the networks basically all just they shift to live action programming for their Saturday mornings and eventually just give up entirely, I think. Yeah, more or less. More or less. Fox is still doing their thing, but all the other networks basically are like, yeah, forget this. And even yeah. Fox shifts from, oh, they shift, They became the Fox Box because they actually changed the company. Because before yeah. it was Saban that was providing their material, and then mm-hmm. it became, I'm, trying, I'm blanking on the name of the company. But basically, that's why Fox's lineup completely changes. Because they actually have a different company basically running their Saturday morning at that point. Yeah, it goes through a couple because it's Saban, mm-hmm. and then there's like an Italian company. There's an Italian company. Oh, okay, that does uh, that does a bunch of their that weird CGI stuff they pick up. Right. Okay. But the end result is is that Fox is the only Saturday morning player really left in town, pretty much at this point. Um, well, they're gone now, and then they're gone now. Oh yeah, they they yeah. disappeared at this point in time to mean the two thousands, um, yeah. and so they go. You know they. They made their attempts. Meanwhile, the cable networks, like Cartoon Networks, sensing opportunity because God knows everyone else is you know not doing anything, suddenly <laughs> decide to sink lots of money into doing original productions. Yep. And as an end result, in the mid to late 2000s, you actually get a real almost renaissance of cartoon animation because Cartoon Network, uh, Disney, and who else? Nickelodeon... A bunch of companies are actually start really producing good stuff. So this is the era mm-hmm. where we get like Avatar, um, the Last Airbender, not the movie, the right. TV show. This is the era where we got uh, we get the new what we got the new Justice League series. Justice League Unlimited is coming out at this time, yeah. um, but it's going to come for Cartoon <laughs> Network though. So it yeah. actually has more it has more freedom to do what they want. So they actually do. They do some different – you might not like it, but it actually was a pretty important show at the time. What else? They did a He-Man remake with beautiful animation. They did a Thundercats remake, beautiful animation. Well, they did another He-Man remake. Yes. There was one in the 80s that nobody cared about. Yeah, that's true. Actually, early 90s I thought it was. Uh, It's late 80s, early 90s. Okay, we'll go with that. I can't remember which. Um, What else did they do during this time? They also do a G.I. Joe remake. They do – Two. Wasn't there – yeah, there's more than one. There's more than one. Yeah. There's there's one there's one done since then. Anyway, but the key point is is that yeah, there's a ton of money is just dumped into doing TV animation at this point in the in the mid to late two thousands. Yeah. Um, and most of it's superhero, but not all of it. And well, there's there's different because what ends up happening uh, mm-hmm. part of that renaissance is flash animation. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah that it becomes about cheap that. again. Yeah. I guess it's probably because you got have to understand that in my case, most of the flash animation stuff like uh, Adventure Time, for example, 
um, which became super popular. There's another show that became super ultra popular, Adventure Mm -hmm. Time, and that's from that period. Um, Is not really to my taste. Like, style-wise, that's not my type of story. So that's why I didn't take an interest in it. But I know, I think you did, right? Oh, yeah, because my all-time favorite cartoon, like Saturday morning cartoon, is Thundar the Barbarian. Oh, yes, yep, from the 70s, yep. yep. And Adventure Time is what would happen if Thunder the Barbarian had been written by five-year-olds. That's one way to look at it. Yeah, if, you, if you've seen both, you're like, oh my god, that yeah, that is totally what's going huh. on. <laughs> okay, that's kind of. So... <laughs> it's a very kid-focused, friendly version of Adventure. Okay, yeah, sure, Thunder. Okay, sure. <laughs> I can see that. Um, so there we go. So there's a big renaissance that happens during the 2000s. Which yep. kind of sort of peters out once we get into the teens. Um, I've noticed that, well, at least let, let me put it this way. Cartoon Network basically began phasing their stuff out, I think, around 20, I want to say but it was between 2012 and 2014, basically. Cartoon Network basically phased out pretty much all of their action stuff, all the stuff that mm-hmm. was more oriented towards boys, basically. For one reason, right. or, or for, and for an older audience, I suspect, and I can be corrected on this, it's probably because they decided they were getting more bang for their buck out of uh, the cheaper Flash stuff and the more action-oriented stuff, like say Young Justice, which was a huge hit from 2012 to 2014. Again, the toys didn't sell, so the show ended up not getting renewed. Um, yeah. But Young Justice is a—it was basically one of their very last Cartoon Network action shows. It was not cheap. It was actually very expensive. It was well done. It got yeah. great ratings, mm-hmm. but not to the target audience, and it didn't sell toys. So ultimately, yeah. off it went. Yeah, it was no Megas XLR, but okay, what is? Yeah, there um, is. Yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, we, and um, <laughs> oh yeah, also from that period of the two thousands, we've also got uh, Samurai Jack. Although that might have been early two thousands, actually, I think was Samurai. It was. Jack. It was. That was early. And then there's uh, Symbionic Titan. And but anyway, my yeah. point again is that um, Cartoon Network was leading the pack for a while, but unfortunately, they eventually, I suspect, change of management probably just basically dumped most of their boys action oriented stuff. Um, yeah, they're. They let it peter out basically around 2014 or so. Yeah, there's there's that, and I think what's happening is the same thing that started happening in the 80s because mm-hmm. the 2000s were the 80s again. Right. Was that idea of um, they wanted to to maximize profit, mm-hmm. and it was that idea that you're doing a show to be a show and tacking on merch after. That's true. And a lot of stuff that wasn't working, so they wanted. Either something that's super cheap mm-hmm. or something that already has pre-existing, like, merch. That's true. Yeah, that makes sense. And the, it's sad to say, but stuff like Adventure Time, well, maybe not sad from your point of view, uh, but stuff like Adventure Time really does sell merchandise. Like, those cute yeah. stylized characters, in a lot of ways, is better for merchandise than yep. uh, more action-oriented characters are. Well, yeah, no. I mean, it's 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 the I think again the '80s problem because, mm-hmm. uh, like we've talked about with any kind of entertainment, it's cyclical. Right. That little kids like it. Little kids get older, and you get like slightly older versions. Mm-hmm. Um, if it really takes off, when those kids become adults, you get an adult version of it. Right. And then a new derivation for the next wave of kids. Right. And what's happening is we're getting to that point where a lot of this stuff. Um, not just the comedy stuff mm-hmm. is hitting that older audience, right? But 
they never make that jump into making it a fixture at that level because they either won't or can't mm-hmm. take that chance to make it more serious and grown up or they go the other route where it's like okay throwing like boobs swearing and blood everywhere mm, that's true and and then that's why we never quite get there and it's just cheaper to do another batch of uh of like the the kitty stuff it's cheap kids don't know any better though right you know watch the same run cycle for two years whatever you know right um the other thing that happened during the 2000s of course was anime came in and we kind yeah. of skipped over that technically started in the 90s we that's a, but that's kind of a whole other show plot and one. a whole other plot line that's one of the reasons why we didn't really yeah. mention anime but anime yeah. kind of came and that was also part of the impetus i think for all the american action stuff they looked at anime and they said this anime stuff we can do that too and I think that's where some of that came from as well during the two thousands. Well, there's another there's another catch with that too, though. Oh, um, that the the Japanese stuff benefited from is that you had home video. That's true. So you you would have like that was what saved Family Guy mm-hmm. was that when they released it on DVD, it sold like crazy, right? And then they realized we can make money selling the the discs. Yeah, yeah. And that that's where the home thing. Kind of, I think one of the things you're starting to see with that is because you've got places like Netflix and mm-hmm. Crave and, and that you're seeing the equivalent of the home video boom of the 80s. Right. Where these stations are doing all kinds of like neat shows and that because they're still experimenting. Right. They need as much filler as possible, but that means they're doing things that are, are different, which is right. what happened in the 80s. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Well, it's... A cycle, right? Anytime a new technology comes around, there's an experimental phase. Yeah. And during that time, usually a lot of cool and interesting stuff ends up being done. And then eventually they perfect the formula and everything turns into bland crap. Marvel Sunbow. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and you mentioned Netflix. And right now that's kind of where things are. I mean, the new uh, Voltron remake by the makers of the Adventures of of uh the adventures of Korra sorry Legend of Korra and Avatar just came out the new adventure uh was it Voltron Legendary Defender I think it's called and mm. which is extremely good if people haven't watched it and you have Netflix you really should check it out but Netflix yeah. is doing a ton of animated stuff right now and they're one of the few doing original animated stuff at this point it's weird how it's just starting to shift from cable to these um subscription services internet yeah. That's that's who's doing animation now, and I've heard that's even happening in Japan too. Yeah, because their stuff is super expensive. Exactly, but so, that that huh? And they've even been doing. There's actually series where they're actually doing deals with Netflix to produce anime now. Netflix is yeah. actually helping to pay for anime in Japan, and then they get to air it when air it over here as well. Yeah, and that that mirrors a lot of what happened uh, when you get to the '90s when you you mentioned Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. That you had cable stations mm-hmm. that were at the forefront of cartoons and they died off on the regular networks because yep. the networks couldn't sink the money into it. These guys were doing stuff that was new and exciting and that's where all the attention moved. Plus they had the money, right? If you're a cable network, yeah. you actually have more money to play with. In theory, it depends who your backers are and how many subscribers you have. Yeah. Um, but in Netflix's case, we already know that Netflix has actually got more subscribers than most of the cable networks. Um, so, or at least some, at least than HBO anyway. So, and yeah. and they got mo- the money's just coming in directly. So they have money and they're looking yep. for content. And uh, so that's 
it's in their best interest because there's actually you don't have Netflix, I know, Don, but there's actually a mm-hmm. Netflix uh, kids. Like when you go into Netflix, you can go to the kids section or you can go to the general section, which has the kids stuff too. But so they've purposely been cultivating a whole huge kids section there. My mm-hmm. nieces and nephew, they know how to turn on Netflix. In fact, they don't watch regular TV cartoons at all. <laughs> they watch all their kids shows on Netflix. Kid can't write his name, but he knows how to log into Netflix. They do. That's not an exaggeration. <laughs> they literally, they know that they're not allowed. And their parents feel safe because everything's G-rated basically in that kid's section. So right. the kids are just allowed to log into net that you know the kid's Netflix wing and go nuts. Without, watch whatever you want. Wow. And so to them, that's TV. That's right. normal. And I think that that's... Yeah, comes around nicely. There's there's our future, right? <laughs> there are a whole generation that's grown up with on demand TV. When you know they watch what they want when they want as much as they want of it, right? And I think that that's the pattern for the future for television in general, and for it's what they're used to. So that's what they'll expect from the future as well. Well, until the companies figure a way to stomp on it, because having variety means, oh my god, we have to spend money to make all kinds of stuff. Well, yes and no, but actually, it goes the other way too. Everything old is new again. See, all right. that old content like that we're talking about, now I don't think Netflix has, like, say, Goober and the Ghost Chasers. But uh, I've never looked, but I'm pretty sure they don't. <laughs> but someday there, w- there will be services online where you'll be able to go and watch that if you want. Like everything that's ever been produced that's still <laughs> that's been digitized will be available on online streaming services for a small fee or for a subscription. That's just going to happen. It's already happening. Well, you're seeing that too because you mentioned Goober and the Ghost Chasers. I believe Turner Classic Movies has that on disc. That doesn't surprise me, which means they digitized it, which means someday Turner Classic Movies subscription service will have uh, – it'll be one of your options. We'll be able to watch that along with Crusader Rabbit. (laughs) Although I don't think there's that much Crusader Rabbit left actually, but I don't know. Maybe there is. I don't know. When they started rerunning the old uh, Rocket Robin Hoods here – they're digital copies. Somebody restored Rocket Robin Hood. Oh, my God. Oh, um, <laughs> I, we didn't touch on Rocket Robin Hood. I suppose that'll be a whole other show on Canadian animation. Um, but, Don't touch Rocket Robin Hood. Yeah, nobody touches Rocket Robin Hood if they can avoid it. Um, mo- in fact, I wonder how many of our listeners – there's a challenge – so, listeners, um, I haven't mentioned it on air before, but we actually have a Facebook group. So, if you're a fan of the show and you also happen to be on Facebook, come find the Operatives of the Department of Nerdly Affairs Facebook group and join up. And we can actually talk and interact and such. And if you remember Rocket Robin Hood, come on to this episode's posting on the group and uh, let us know. Because I'm curious to know how many people actually remember Rocket Robin Hood that aren't Canadian. Okay, One. Canadians can come on too. But I'm curious to know if it was actually shown other places besides Canada. Because it was shown to death for us, but it's because it's Canadian <laughs> content. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, I think since we've now covered past, present, and future, it's a very light overview. I'm sure that we missed all of your favorite shows we never got to talk about wait till your father gets home, which by the cool. way was basically Family Guy with less laughs. Um and aired during the <laughs> 70s. It, it literally was Family Guy. Just <laughs> Family Guy's a super uh, messed up version of it. 
Um, anyway, <laughs> but we'll, who knows? Maybe we'll come back to some of this stuff. But this is our overview show of TV animation. Um, we will definitely touch on this subject again sometime in the future. Maybe we'll actually have actual experts on at some point in the future who are actually around during that era. Anything's possible. So, <laughs> any final thoughts, Don, before we go? Ah. Uh... Yeah, but I think each one of them would probably be like an episode unto itself. Okay, well then we'll definitely retouch on the subject again because I don't want to go too much longer. All right, so (laughs) on that note, thanks for listening, everyone. And please tune in again next time for something that's not the Star Wars Holiday Special and is going to be a great topic. You're absolutely going to love it. And uh, you'll find out what it is when we do. (laughs) The, The Holiday Special does have an animated bit, though. Still doesn't count. Good night, folks. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya. See ya.